Hi, welcome to Skip's Corner, where I cover Nashville's baseball history and events and introduce you to players, coaches, and other fans. admired people who had a physical affliction or other afflictions and were able to overcome it by playing a sport. I often think of Bonnie Sloan, who I remember jumping off the high diving board at the East Nashville Family YMCA when it was first built to all the kids from all the schools locally, East High School, Madison, Lytton, and Stratford, and where I attended. And Bonnie Sloan was a great football player at Isaac Lytton High School, and he was deaf. And he went on to play at Austin P. State University, and as I remember, was the first deaf player to play in the NFL. He played defensive lineman with the St. Louis Cardinals, and I think the team developed some hand signals for him to learn how to when a play was over and, and whatnot. It's quite a, a tribute to him that people recognize what he did. Nashville baseball is not far from that. And and from the early days in the 19th century, finishing in third place in the inaugural Southern League season in 1885, Nashville manager Walt Goldsby carried over players Norm Baker, Ollie Beard, Tony Hellman, James Hillary, Lefty Marr, Lynn Souders, and Billy Taylor into the second season of 1886. But he picked up former Major League players Billy O'Brien, George McVeigh, and Ed Dundon to form the nucleus of the team called the Americans to begin that new season. Now, here's where the connection is. O'Brien's career began with the St. Paul Whitecaps and the Kansas City Cowboys in the unsuccessful Union Association in 1884, which Nashville almost became a member of in 1885. And then O'Brien spent part of the 1885 season with Memphis. McVeigh had previously played for Chillicothe in 1884 and Brooklyn and Atlanta in 1885. O'Brien, a first baseman, played the entire season with Nashville and in between various stops over the next six years, even returned to play another season with the Nashville Tigers in 1893. And his baseball career ended in 1896. McVeigh, a catcher, was released by Goldsby in May and signed with Chattanooga and retired 10 years later in his 12th season in organized baseball. And now I'm getting to Ed Dundon. Ed Joseph Dundon was born on July the 10th, 1859 in Columbus, Ohio, to Irish immigrants John and Mary Dundon, who had left Ireland around 1855 after having their first child in 1854. And they had 10 more children through 1872. That's a lot of kids. Edward being the fourth. Though John and Mary didn't suffer from hearing problems, their children, Edward, and then Mary and Ellen did, which suggests a genetic cause behind the hearing loss and probably indicates that the hearing loss was congenital. John supported the family as a laborer, and Ed's oldest brother, Thomas, later became a popular area Democratic politician and the largest lumber dealer in central Ohio. Well, let me get back to Edward and his two sisters, uh, Mary and Ellen, who grew up and lived at the Ohio Institute for the Education of the Deaf and Dumb in Columbus during the school year. Edward entered the school in September 1868 at the age of nine 
and returned every fall well into his 20s. He continued to work there as a bookbinder even after officially graduating at high school age. And Mary entered the same year, and Ellen, quite a bit younger, not until 1875. And besides the normal course load, the school also taught the students a trade. Dundon picked up bookbinding, as I said earlier, and he graduated as class valedictorian in 1878. He returned winters after the baseball season and worked on the premises plying his trade. The Ohio Institute was the first residential secondary school in the United States to incorporate a baseball team, and Dundon became a pitcher for the school's baseball team. Later, at the age of 24, the right-hander, who stood six foot tall and weighed 170 pounds, joined the Columbus Buckeyes of the American Association, and he didn't have a very good season his first year in 1883. He was three and 16. He returned to the Buckeyes, though, in 1884 and did a little better. He had a 6-4 record. In 1885, had a tremendous season at 21-12 with a 1.44 ERA, striking out 205 for Atlanta in the new Southern League, helping to lead the Atlantans to the Southern League's pennant. That's the first year of the league. Well, Goldsby brought Dundon to Nashville. And on March the 22nd, it was a cool day in Nashville. The Americans won 13 to 6. It was an exhibition win over Pittsburgh of the American Association when Dundon scattered seven hits and struck out 15. Now, during the game, a controversial play allowed Pittsburgh Allegheny center fielder Fred Mann to take first base. And here's where it's, uh, Dundon shows a little bit of his savvy because the Nashville infielders gathered near home plate to make their plea to the umpire from that controversial play, and Mann took off for second as Dundon's back was to the field of play. Marr thought he was going to be able to take advantage of this savvy pitcher. So if Mann thought Dundon's affliction was something to take advantage of, he was sorely wrong as the Nashville pitcher was holding the ball while keeping a keen eye on him, unbeknownst to the gutsy runner. And before Mann had gone a third of the way to second, Dundon turned and threw him out. It is likely that Dundon had seen the deception before and was aware of any opposing player attempting to exploit his inability to hear his teammates or even the crowd. And the spectators, nearly a thousand in number, gave him a rousing cheer from the grandstand. Well, it was not going to be a successful year for either Dundon or the Nashville club that season, but one of his highlights happened in Charleston, South Carolina on May the 1st. In front of 5,000 fans, the opposition accumulated only seven hits and three runs, but his teammates only gathered six hits and scored two runs in Nashville's loss. However, the handsome Dundon was presented with a gift from a group of Charleston ladies, a large floral pyramid. He finished the season with Nashville with a record of 13 and 15, and Nashville finished in third place for the second year in a row. The next year, Dundon hurt his arm playing with Syracuse, playing sparingly, but he was 13-5 and five for the 1887 season, and sadly, he had begun to battle alcohol addiction and was often suspended. By 1889, he had joined Evansville in the Central Interstate League, and with a record of 14-8, and eight, things went downhill for him as he was fined and suspended for intoxication and in subordination, and he retired from baseball. On August the 18th, 1893, 
He died from consumption at the age of 35 and was buried at Calvary Cemetery in Columbus. His obituaries promulgated a series of misconceptions about the former pitcher. For one, some contained a ridiculous story about him gaining his hearing and speech on his deathbed, talking with his wife and other attendants. But his wife, however, was also a student at the Ohio Institute from a very young age. And another claim declared that Dundon's deafness was achieved via typhoid fever from the age of three. But that seems unlikely, considering the family connection with three deaf children born up to 10 years apart. An obituary also mentioned that Dundon quit the game because of the onset of the disease that finally killed him, and that seems unlikely as well. The battles he fought with alcohol were at the opposite end of the spectrum from his ability to overcome his deafness with savvy. And he had a pretty good year with Nashville, certainly Atlanta the season before. Walt Goldsby thought that he could add to um, the pitching core of the Nashville Ball Club, the Americans, but it just didn't happen. And sadly, Dundon never could turn his life around after battling alcoholism for so long. And who knows what other affliction he may have had, what illness he may have picked up, but at least he got out on the field, on the pitcher's mound, played baseball, and would not let others take advantage of him. Much like Bonnie Sloan from Isaac Litton High School from football, who overcome his affliction and made it a positive thing with a career of a few years anyway in the NFL, and he's remembered for that quite often. Ed Dundon, often unfairly referred to as Dummy Dundon, persevered and had a few good seasons in what he loved to do, and that was play baseball. 